Hello and welcome to the program UFO Warning. In this episode we're talking about the UFO airships of 1897. That's correct, the UFO airships of 1897. Now this was a series of sightings that happened during that year where people saw these UFOs that uh, frequently appear to them as airships, or what we would call blimps today, but didn't act like blimps. Often they were described as being made of metal or they had strange propulsion systems. Sometimes uh, they were seen as a glowing light of an airship. All very interesting encounters, and we're going to look at three of them here today. The first one here is from a kind of a mainline source, but I think a really decent article. I'll have the links of the Buy Me a Coffee website. As always, uh, a great thank you to the people that support the program on Buy Me a Coffee and also at Spotify. It really helps the program. Now, this first article comes from cgonline.com. The title says, It was 1897, and a strange light appeared in the sky over Topeka. History Guy looks back at the UFO sighting, Tim Herencher, Topeka Capital Journal. And they've got a, a decent video here of this guy. He goes to the library and he digs out this old uh, uh, newspaper clip, I guess it's on microfilm. But it's cool because they're going back to the original sources and reading what was said about this sighting when it happened, you know, over 125 uh, years ago now. He says, hundreds saw a strange red light that appeared in the sky above Topeka on the evening of March 27, 1897. The Topeka Daily Capital reported the next day on its front page. Quote, was it the headlight of an airship, the newspaper asked. This week's History Guy video at CJ Online, coming during a year that's seen an increased number of reports of unidentified flying objects across the nation, focuses on the 1897 sighting which was described in an article in the Daily Capital. Then it goes on and says, perhaps it was not an airship, but it was something, something startling, the newspaper said. That sighting came four months after the San Francisco call in late 1896, published a drawing of a mystery airship. It reported that it moved slowly over Sacramento, California, at a height of about 1,000 feet. In the months that followed, many UFO sightings were reported in California and in the central United States. Inventor Thomas Edison sought to quell widespread speculation that he was behind the UFOs by issuing a statement denying responsibility. And that's that's fact. I mean, that's what really puzzles me about this is, you know, you could say, well, this is mass hysteria, whatever. But it was important enough that Edison came out and said, hey, it's not me doing this. The Daily Capital initially disregarded reports it received from nearby towns indicating an apparent airship featuring a huge headlight was floating around at night. But the Daily Capital then reported on March 28, 1897, that numerous Topekans had seen a red light in the western sky beginning about 9.30 p.m. the previous evening. It seemed as if about 1,000 Topekans saw it about the same time and they were all kind enough to notify the Capitol office about it by telephone, the newspaper said. Witnesses included about 200 people who watched from the area of South 7th Street and Kansas Avenue, the Daily Capitol reported. So 200 people saw this thing. Some of those thought they saw the object move, while others were uncertain, it said. The light then suddenly disappeared, the Daily Capitol reported. No one could guess where it had gone. But that fact that it had disappeared suddenly proved that it was not a star, the newspaper said. And the, the article concluded by saying the UFO was supposed to be the work of an inventor who was experimenting with it secretly. The UFO was never identified. 
you can see how they approach things even in 1897 with this normalcy bias and they haven't been given all the deep state jargon of conspiracy theories and swamp gas and of course they didn't have drones but they were able just to say well we can't explain it and so it must be something that this inventor has has created it's 1897 i mean a lot of things have been invented you know in the previous years and so people were open-minded about uh, the, the notion that somebody had invented some kind of a flying machine, even though uh, the Wright brothers wouldn't come along until 1902. I mean, there had been, you know, uh, hot air balloons around for quite a while. But this thing certainly didn't act like a hot air balloon. It was, and those would have been so rare, you couldn't even imagine that, would have, that it would have been possible to have one there out in Tobuka, Kansas, without somebody knowing about it. They saw what was clearly a UFO with this large, bright red light uh, showing from it, something that we see today quite often and hear about reported. But that's the first uh, 1897 report that I want to hear about. This in March. Now, there's two more that I want to look at that are also quite interesting. And this one here is from Arkansas. And uh, I found this on the exploreourhistory.com site. It, I don't see a list of the author on this, but the title says The Arkansas Airship Mystery of 1897. One of the most mysterious incidents in Arkansas history was actually tied to a series of similar reports that appeared around the nation in the years 1897 and 1898. Of course, we just read that this was also happening in 1896 in California. The alleged incident took place on May 6, 1897 in Quachita Mountains near Hot Springs. Now think about that. You had March, you had Topeka, Kansas. In March, you had Topeka, Kansas, and then here in May 6, you have uh, the Quachita Mountains near Hot Springs, Arkansas. As the story goes, Constable John J. Sumter Jr. and Deputy Sheriff John McLemore were investigating reports of cattle rustling near the community of Jesseville when they came across an unexpected sight. The two men were riding northwest over Blue Quachita Mountain when they saw a bright light in the sky. The light disappeared behind the hilltops, and the men continued their ride. After a ride of a few more miles, they again saw the light. This time it was much closer to the earth and appeared to be descending. It once again disappeared, but after a ride of another half a mile, the men's horses suddenly refused to continue. Looking into the darkness, the two officers quickly saw the reason why. People could be seen moving around with lights, drawing their weapons they approached to investigate. Demanding that the mysterious people identify themselves, the two lawmen were startled when a man with a beard approached holding a lantern and announced that he and two companions were traveling the country in an airship. He showed them his unusual craft. They reported it to be a cigar shape and about 60 feet long. The mysterious man tried to coax him aboard the craft, but they refused to go. When they returned by the same place later in the night, no trace was seen in the airship or its occupants. Now, that would have been pretty spooky for these guys. 1897, you're on horseback there in Arkansas in heavy, in, in heavy timber. Had to be a very remote area. And you see this 60-foot-long aircraft there in this clearing, I suppose, just suspended there with these people walking around it. Now, they call them people, but I have to, under, I have to think that one of two things, either these things are some sort of time travelers or perhaps... They're aliens, but they're disguising themselves as people. And I find it concerning that he tried to get these guys to go aboard the, the craft. 
It's almost like one of these abductions where they have to obtain your permission before they take you. It says when they returned by the same place later in the night, no trace was seen of the airship or its occupants. Exactly what the men saw remains a mystery to this day. Airplanes and pirate blimps had not yet been invented in 1897, yet newspapers across the country were filled with such reports. Some speculation that the late 19th century witnesses saw a spacecraft from another planet and aliens. Others believe in more earthly explanations, either an experimental aircraft that was still being kept secret or an outright hoax. Okay, first off, let's address both these. And this idea, uh, you know, that's a secret experiment. I think you can see the parallels with today's narrative that every time a UFO pops up, that it's got to be the Chinese or the Russians. And, and we've talked about this multiple times on the pro, on the podcast. I mean, if the Chinese had this kind of technology, would Taiwan still have any kind of freedom? And if the Russians had this, wouldn't the Ukraine just be another Russian state? I mean, you're talking about people that have very uh, specific power goals. And if they had unlimited power, you would have think they would have achieved those goals already. Just like with the United States. If the United States had that kind of power... I find it hard to believe that we would have any freedoms left because you're putting the you're you're, you're putting that you're putting uh, unimaginable power for control in the hands of a very specific few people. And what was it Benjamin Disraeli said that power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. So I find it hard to believe that a human could possess this thing without you know really exposing themselves by doing something stupid with it. As far as this being a hoax, I also find that hard to believe. These were two lawmen. It's 1897. It's a pretty serious time. Notice, they're riding horses. They're not riding around in a car. It's a much harder life back then. And I'm old enough that I've met some really old people. I've met people that were born in the you know eight, late 1800s. And I know that makes me pretty old. But it, it, and quite a few people that were born in the early 1900s that... Uh, you know, remember stories from their parents and grandparents about, you know, going clear back to the Civil War. It was a much harder time. It was a much more serious time. Every day, uh, if you were an average working person, it was another day that you had to put a lot of hours in hard work just to survive. You didn't have any of the comforts of life that we do today. And they had a different attitude. If you notice in those old pictures, they're, they're, they're really, they never smile. They're just looking into the camera. Uh, seriously, blankly, and that was their attitude on life. They they didn't they didn't laugh a lot. A lot of them. Now, I ha I can't imagine these this this sheriff and his deputy uh, riding through the countryside to investigate cattle rustling, and you have to wonder there if there's some connection between these missing cattle and this spaceship. But I don't imagine these being the kind of people that would just make up a story like this. It, the, telling people the story could jeopardize your social standing for one thing. And secondly, like I said, these were serious people. It is interesting to note that a resident of the Hot Springs area applied for a patent for a flying machine at about the same time. He did not receive his patent, but obviously was experimenting with some type of aircraft. Whether he ever actually constructed a flying machine is not known. Now, this is something that the author has put in here. And, uh, it's almost like one of these things where they want to muddy the waters or kind of spoil the pot. Now, I don't know if they meant to do that, but that's what this uh, seems to be intended to do, or it has the effect of that. This could be the person that wrote this. It could be their own 
bias where they're they're not open-minded enough to consider that these men in 1897 actually did have this experience. Remember, it's 1897. Lots of people are talking about flying. You know, the idea, the concept of airplanes was kind of like uh, the concept of of the internet in the early 90s. I mean, it was just starting to form. It really wasn't working. Everybody thought they had an idea. And lots of people managed to kill themselves trying to build flying machines. So just to put this in here and say, oh, well, this guy was, he applied for a patent for a fl flying machine. Doesn't mean anything. I mean, there really was no, I think, constructive reason to uh, add that into the article because what what are you telling us? That you think that just because uh, someone applied for a flying machine, that that we have to make the assumption that he was out flying this prototype around? I mean, that's, that's just silliness. It, it adds nothing to the... It doesn't do anything but try to uh, set up a straw man argument to take away from the veracity of the story. It goes on, it says, Whatever the two lawmen saw in, in the Ouachita Mountains that night remains unidentified to this day. No claims or responsibility for the incident have ever surfaced. Well, I don't imagine they will. Not long after the Arkansas incident, a man in Mississippi reported a similar encounter with the airship and described the craft in much the same way. Barring the discovery of more evidence, the 19th century Arkansas UFO sighting must remain one of the one of the mysteries of the Wachita Mountains for now. Yeah, I mean, this stuff is going all over. So you have it in California, you got it in Kansas, you got it in Arkansas, you got it in Mississippi. And this next one I want to look at is a really famous case we've talked about before, but I think it's probably one of the very best ones. And maybe this was the last place this particular airship was at because it, it was reported to have crashed. And of course, we're talking about the Aurora incident, and that's Aurora, Texas. Now, this article that we're looking at is from TexasScapes.com. Uh, it's by James Corrin. It's called The Aurora Incident, and it says 107-odd years ago, a most unusual incident occurred in the tiny north Texas town of Aurora. It was it was here that one of the earliest documented encounters with an alien life form took place in the early morning hours of 1897. Now, I'm just noticing this here. It says that the sighting happened on April 19th. You might remember that the sighting in Kansas was reported in March. Of course, the one in California was reported the, at what December of the, the previous year, 1896, and then this one here that we just talked about in Arkansas was in May, like May 6. So this would have actually happened before Aurora. So that tells us that there were actually uh, at least two ships involved in this and these sightings of these uh, UFO airships of 1897 because this thing crashed in April, then it wouldn't have been available to be seen in May in Arkansas further north. So just kind of keeping that in mind. Aurora, Texas is literally the town that almost was. As the town's tiny history book states and one of its few if not its only claim to fame is the burial site of an alien pilot that crashed there in his airship, the most memorable event in a string of UFO sightings which covered a three-state area between 1895 and 1898. Now they claim three states, but see, it's easy to overlook these. Now, if you think about California, you got Kansas, you got Arkansas, you got Mississippi, you have Texas. That's at least five right there. Now, it says Aurora is located just off US 287, west of Rome. That's R-H-O-M-E, about a mile south on 
State Highway 114 to Bridgeport. There is a sign beside the highway that says cemetery and points south toward the graveyard. Interestingly enough, the historical marker at that site actually includes the word spaceship. Newspapers, along with diaries and letters by local residents, reported that an alien craft hit a windmill and was torn to pieces along with its occupant in April 1897. Now think about that. People thought enough to put this in their diaries. They wrote letters to people about it. And they talked about it. It says a 1986 movie, The Aurora Encounter, produced by Charles B. Pierce, tells the tale. The official historical marker was installed by the state of Texas, and although nobody knows exactly where the grave is located, it is certain that the alien was, in fact, buried in the Aurora Cemetery after the efforts of the local doctor failed to save its life following the crash. There is, unfortunately, no sign of the tombstone. It was stolen some years ago and never recovered. There are, however, picture records of its existence. There's currently a renewed movement in town to exhume the body of the alien, replace the headstone, and do a complete search for remains of the crash. Also, there have been several interesting pieces of metal found in that area that have been confiscated for analysis by the military and never returned. Well, that's interesting. Seems like sometimes when they get your stuff, you never get it back. And it's got a pretty cool picture here of this tombstone with a spaceship on it. It says the oldest known graves here dating from as early as the 1860s are those of the Randall and Rowlett families. Phoenix Dudley Bocamp, 1825 to 1893. A Confederate veteran from Mississippi donated the three-acre site to the newly formed Aurora Lodge Number no. 479, an epidemic which struck the village in 1891, added hundreds of graves to the plot. Imagine that. Hundreds. Called spotted fever by the settlers, the disease is now thought to be a form of meningitis. This site is also well known because of the legend that a spaceship crashed nearby in 1897 and the pilot killed in the crash was buried here. Struck by epidemic and crop failure and bypassed by the railroad, the original town of Aurora almost disappeared, but the cemetery remains in use with over 800 graves. Veterans of the Civil War, World Wars I and II, and the Korean and Vietnam conflicts are interred here. Finally, he says, the Aurora crash was in fact the culminating event in a rash of airship sightings in east and northeast Texas, Oklahoma, north and central Louisiana, in the period between 1895 and 1898. Robert Atkinson of Center, Texas, a veteran of the Spanish-American War, often told of seeing as a teenager strange flashing lights in the sky as did Polk Burns of the same city. Similar incidents were recounted by Bud Knight, a prominent resident of San Augustine, Texas, who died in 1981 at the age of 108. Lee Sharon, who died in 1976 at the age of 94, recalled seeing moving lights flashing in the sky while living in Swift, Texas, near Nokodoshis. While in his teens, nor were civic records and town newspapers of the time completely silent on the matter. Reports, although not common, do exist. On April 22, 1897, in the small central town of Rockland, John M. Barkley was intrigued when his dog barked furiously and a high-pitched noise was heard. He went out, saw a flying object circling about 20 feet above the ground. He described it as having an elongated shape with protrusions and blinding lights. It went dark when it landed, only a short distance from his home. Barclay was met by a man who informed him that his purpose was peaceful 
and requested some common hardware items to repair the craft. He paid with a $10 bill and took off like a bullet out of a gun. Now, this is just bizarre to me. What would they possibly need to repair a craft? I wonder if these things are using this as just some sort of uh, ruse to interact with people. I mean, what's the odds that, that uh, an alien entity would have a $10 bill? And that would have been a substantial amount of money at that time. So you see these weird things happening with people uh, uh, sp- spotting these uh, airships. Of course, we know the story about the one in Aurora, Texas, that uh, crashed into the windmill. Uh, that's We've done a podcast on that several times. The History Channel did, I think, one of the best uh, documentaries on that. They ended up burying the remains of that craft in a well, which they exhumed later. Uh, uh, the new the new owner did, and he had this terrible case of arthritis, you know, beset him. Uh, they reported that, that they buried the uh, alien, the pilot of the ship, who they supposed to be from Mars in the local cemetery. Uh, they, they were, uh, metal detectors were sent out. They thought they found the probable location of the grave, and then the grave marker was moved. They think maybe that somebody came in and exhumed the body. A lot of really strange stuff happened surrounding that crash. And this fellow's talking about other multiple sightings and even landings that happened in and around this area in Texas. He goes on, he says, on that same day, April 22nd, 1897, some 100 miles away in the community of Josheron, Texas, Frank Nicholas who lived some five miles east of Josheron and was one of its most respected citizens, was awakened by what he called a machine noise. Looking outside, he saw a heavy lighted object land in his wheat field. He walked toward it, but was stopped by two men who asked permission to draw water from his well. He then had a discussion with half a dozen short, dark men, apparently the crew of the strange machine. He was told how it worked, but could not follow the explanation. Three days later, on April 25, 1897, in Merkel, Texas, people returning from church observed a heavy object being dragged along the ground by a rope or cable attached to a cigar-shaped flying craft. As the assembled crowd watched, the line managed to get caught in a railroad track. The craft was too high for its structure to be visible, but protrusions and a light could be distinguished. After the craft hovered in place for about 10 minutes, a man came down along the rope, cut the in free, and went back aboard the craft, which flew away toward the northeast. The man was described by all witnesses as being small and dressed in a light blue uniform. Another one of these bizarre interactions. I mean, they don't make any sense unless it's just to somehow uh, reveal themselves to people. It's almost like they're just going through some sort of uh, acting routine to get people's attention to say, hey, we're here. The next day, late in the evening of April 26, 1897, near the town of Aquila in South Texas, a local lawyer whose name was not reported by the press was surprised to see a lighted object fly quietly overhead as he was riding from his office to his home just outside the city limits. His horse was scared and nearly toppled his carriage. The object was large and oblong and sported a bright light that was observed to be sweeping the ground below the object. When the main light was turned off, a number of smaller lights became visible on the underside of the dark-colored metallic craft, which revealed an elongated, transparent canopy. It continued forward toward a hill some seven miles to the south of Aquila. 
When the witness passed the same way approximately one hour later, he saw the object rising. It reached the altitude of the cloud ceiling and flew to the northeast at a fantastic speed with periodic flashes of light. The author says these accounts, all given by respectable eyewitnesses, separated by several hundred miles, yet all in a direct line with Aurora, described a very similar object. It must be remembered that in 1897 distances were much greater than they are today and news traveled at a much slower rate. It is inconceivable that there could have been any collusion between witnesses and highly unlikely that people living in towns separated by several hundred miles could have heard news or read accounts of happenings in other towns within the space of two or three days. This was a time, it must be remembered, when most news traveled by wire or railroad, and unless there was a critical need for residents of one region to have news of another, the expense of wiring such news was avoided. It goes on, it says, Much may be made in some quarters of the quaint descriptions given of the object. It indeed must be a single object, or at least identical objects, such as the presence of machine noises and ropes. This is perfectly understandable in light of the fact that this was a time before sophisticated machinery, especially sophisticated flying machinery, was common or even, for that matter, known. It will be six years before the Wright brothers would take the first halting leap above the ground, and the dirigible airspace of such pioneers as the Count von Zeppelin were in the very early stages of development, a continent and an ocean away. Certainly, no native of East, Central, or South Texas had ever seen such an object. It is highly unlikely that very many of them even heard of such things. The point is this. The residents of Aquila, Hillsboro, Merkel, Joseran, Nacogdoches, Swift, and Aurora would describe what they saw in terms that they understood and could relate to. Any unusual sound emanating from an obviously man-made object would be described as a machine noise. Likewise, any form of line, tie-down, or connector would be described as a rope, cable, or line. You can see how there were just probably dozens of sightings from the end of 1896, actually, what we call the 1897 uh, UFO wave, even into 1898. And people were all describing uh, very similar cigar-shaped craft. Whether that's because that's what popped into their head, or maybe, as I believe, that's the image that these ET were uh, projecting. It seems like these uh, aliens, whatever they are, wanted to uh, demonstrate themselves to the people as something that uh, wasn't so far out of the norm that they couldn't even comprehend it. So they had to make it somewhat relatable. And it could be these interactions that we see that seem so strange and so quaint, as he says, could be the first steps of interaction between these aliens, ET, whatever they are, and humankind. Until next time, this is UFO Warning. Over and out.